0: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to our Bible study series on the book of Job. Before we enter into our reading for today in Job chapter 12, it is customary when Job speaks for us to first read from the epistle of St. James, the fifth chapter. Hear the word of our Lord from St. James, chapter 5, beginning in the seventh verse. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord, As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. As we turn to our reading tonight in Job chapter 12, a bit of context, Job is going to respond to what his friend Zophar the Naamathite answered to him. Zophar lost patience with Job and decided to give him what's for. To say, God is big, you are small, you cannot be pure before him, so... It is clear beyond any shadow of a doubt that you are a sinner. Besides, all men are sinners. Zophar speaks like a theologian who has not had his coffee in the morning. He is upset. He is ready to rumble. And Job decides that he is going to, well, meet fire with fire. Let us hear Job chapter 12, beginning in the first verse. Then Job answered and said, No doubt, you are the people, and wisdom will die with you. But I have understanding as well as you. I am not inferior to you. Who does not know such things as these? I'm a laughingstock to my friends. I, who called to God and he answered me, a just and blameless man am a laughingstock. In the thought of one who is at ease, there is contempt for misfortune. It is ready for those whose feet slip. The tents of robbers are at peace. And those who provoke God are secure, who bring their God in their hand. But ask the beasts, and they will teach you, the birds of the heavens, they will tell you, or the bushes of the earth, and they will teach you, and the fish of the sea will declare to you. Who among all these does not know that the hand of the Lord has done this? In his hand is the life of every living thing, and the breath of all mankind. Does not the ear test words, as the palate tests food? Wisdom is with the aged, and understanding in length of days. With God are wisdom and might. He has counsel and understanding. If he tears down, none can rebuild, and if he shuts a man in, none can open. If he withholds the waters, they dry up. If he sends them out, they overwhelm the land. With him are strength and sound wisdom. The deceived and the deceiver are his. He leads counselors away stripped, and judges he makes fools. He looses the bonds of kings, and binds a waistcloth on their hips. He leads priests away stripped, and overthrows the mighty. He deprives of speech those who are trusted, and takes away the discernment of the elders. He pours contempt on princes, and loosens the belt of the strong. He uncovers the deeps out of darkness, and brings deep darkness to light. He makes nations great, and he destroys them. He enlarges nations and leads them away. He takes away understanding from the chiefs of the people of the earth and makes them wander in a pathless waste. They grow up in the dark without light, and he makes them stagger like a drunken man. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Job is not a fool. I wholeheartedly believe that St. James brings him up as an example of steadfastness, not only because Job truly is steadfast, but Job speaks with the voice of a prophet. There are theologians and higher critics, even Luther himself, who believed that Job was not written by the man Job himself. Now, Luther did believe that these exchanges took place, he just believed that the language was more akin to King Solomon's court than it was a man named Job living in a primitive area like Ur. But that said, I disagree. Humbly, of course, far be it from me to disagree with the good doctor without a good reason. Job speaks like a prophet. St. James basically calls him as much, speaking of the prophets in one breath and in the very next breath bringing up Job. And how do the prophets speak in the Old Testament with high poetic language most of the time? 70% at least of their writings are poetic they are spoken in parallelisms, they are spoken with chiasm, and Job does this. Chiasm is not necessarily limited to Hebrew writers. Job is a learned man, and Job is a man who is filled with God's Holy Spirit. The third person of the Trinity dwells in him, so he speaks beyond the educational opportunities that may or may not have been there in Ur. And he is wise beyond what we can comprehend. When he says, no doubt you are the people and wisdom will die with you, in the second verse, he is chiding his three friends. It's sarcasm. Oh, you're the people, right? You represent everybody. You have all the learning in the world. And when you die, I am sure that we will just know nothing. You are just that precious, aren't you, Zophar? I love that he's willing to punch back a little. Verse 3, but I have understanding as well as you. I am not inferior to you. Line 3 is an example of high Hebrew poetry where it is what you might call a synthetic parallelism. The first line is built upon by the second. I am learned, so don't talk down to me. I am just as understanding as you, so we are equals here, at least. He's being humble still. You, you can't talk to me like this. After all, verse 4, I am a laughingstock to my friends. I, who called to God and he answered me, a just and blameless man, am a laughingstock. Now before we say this is an appeal to Job's other experiences, perhaps prior encounters with God, we cannot forget that in previous chapters he has reminisced somewhat about God's provisions. This is a faithful man who prayed every day for his family, for his children. He was always giving offerings, and God gave him prosperity. He hedged him in with blessings. So whether verse 4 is a reference to Job's prior experiences, which would give some credit to the pseudopigrapha about Job that has been written in the past, chances are, It is an observation of God's previous blessings. Verse 5, In the thought of one who is at ease, there is contempt for misfortune. It is ready for those whose feet slip. This is a warning. When he says in verse 4, I am a laughingstock to my friend, you are pouring scorn out on me, he says. You're laughing at me. You're not being good friends, but that's understandable. You're at ease. His three friends didn't have his problems. Their cattle had not been destroyed or stolen. Their children were not dead. They were not going through what he is going through. So Job understands that they cannot relate to the experience. But it is ready for those whose feet slip. This is an antithetical parallelism. Uh, Here is something you understand. Yes, but the implication they contrast there, that's going to lead to your downfall. You're so secure that you can't relate to me, and you're so secure that you heap contempt and mocking on me, but that contempt, that uh, delusional airheadedness that you have that's keeping you from showing any real compassion to me, your foot's going to slip on account of that. And then he brings up his first point, that is a perfect counter-argument, at least on the ground level, as we human beings see in the world, to what Zophar and the other two friends are saying. The tents of robbers are at peace, and those who provoke God are secure, who bring their God in their hand. What has the line been from Job's friends? You have sinned, therefore God is punishing you. You must have done something wrong, because look at all of these terrible things that are happening to you. Let's reason backwards and tell you that you ought to repent of something. And Job's prime counterpoint to this is, hey, wait, is that happening to the raiders, the robbers? Maybe when he says robbers, he's thinking of the men, the Sabians and others, who had just taken away his servants, his cattle, had stolen things from him. He's never getting them back. He says, are those guys getting punished? Are criminals getting punished? You want to say that I'm being punished for some sin that I've committed, but look at the grave security that sinners have in this world. Why isn't God punishing them if that's how this works? Those who provoke God are secure, who bring their God in their hand. Idolaters, crass idolaters who hold their tiny little teraphim in their hands. Why aren't they getting punished? Why don't I see that in the world? Job has been around the block as a cattle trader, as somebody who had goats and sheep and oxen and all of these animals, of course he's going to be interacting with people out there in the world, and he is going to hear and see great wickedness, and he can tell them, I'm not seeing these people go down. So are you really going to tell me that every single time I'm experiencing something like suffering, that this is... God punishing me? Why isn't that happening to them? Now this has been observed elsewhere in scripture. The psalmists speak about it. They complain to God about it. Psalm 73 of Asaph says, Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, verse 2, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. People have seen this elsewhere in Scripture. They've noticed that God's hand seems quite slack when it comes to the evils in our world. And Job noticed it first. In what is most likely the first book of the Bible ever written. We know this feeling. We're not willing to give voice to it, are we? But we know this, because we look around and we see evil and blasphemy absolutely everywhere, and we ask God, why are you permitting this to happen? Why haven't you done something about the quote-unquote sisters of perpetual indulgence? Uh, you know, the fake nuns going around blaspheming and getting approval from society as baseball teams and giant Twitter accounts go out there and go to bat for them, give them sponsorships. Why? Shouldn't God strike these men down with lightning if it indeed works, like punishment for sin is always seen in this life? And anything bad that happens, oh, of course, it must be that I did something wrong. We all know our corrupt politicians. We have all seen the ugliness and the degeneracy of it. Every now and then the federal agents catch a network of pedophiles and they all scramble like rats. But that can't be all there is for each network of those uh, showing child porn to each other, victimizing children, kidnapping them even, just to torture them and sell video of it. It's probably just a small, tiny little sliver of these men and women violating children. Why has God not nuked this place yet? We have to ask that question, because if we never give voice to it, can we be steadfast like Job? And Job gives an answer to his friends that is beyond this, but this sixth verse is extremely powerful as a counter-argument for the fatalism that we see everywhere that says, if A then B, if you sin, then you experience suffering. Now that is not always the case. We do experience suffering for our sins. We do experience the chastising of God, as Hebrews chapter 12 puts it. But so long as Job can point out this exception that we see, people doing heinous, blasphemous, wicked and ugly things And they seem to be getting away with it. Fat, dumb, and happy. Doing whatever they want. We cannot say that it is always on account of sin or else we would see untold suffering for these wicked people. But he gives an answer to his friends. Ask the beasts, Ask the birds. Ask the earth. Ask the fish of the sea. Sky, air, sea. Ask every little bit of creation and it will tell you what that the hand of the Lord has done this. Now, if we have any Reformed friends or Calvinist friends listening, this is not your opportunity to do a happy dance and claim that Job is a Calvinist. Hooray for Calvinism! Because Job's examples that come keep getting worse and worse. Does not the ear test words, as the palate tastes foods? Wisdom is with the aged, and understanding in the length of days, Uh, Job is an old man. He can tell you this, but God is eternal. So, verse 13, with God our wisdom and might, he has counsel and understanding. That is pointing to God knowing absolutely everything. And yes, having a reason for things that maybe Job doesn't know yet. He understands this. But then he punts to God's sovereignty if he tears down none can rebuild if he shuts a man in none can open if he withers withholds the waters they dry up if he sends them out they overwhelm the land if god can change the face of nature can you undo that if god floods an area do you hit the rewind button and unflood your town no you have to make you have to wait till it takes its course You have to wait till everything dries up, such as God's power. With him are strength and sound wisdom. Verse 16, uh, Job is moving from God's knowledge of everything and his ownership over all creation to his strength. Not just strength of arm, not just omnipotence, but also his sovereignty. The deceived and the deceiver are his. Whether somebody is being lied to, or somebody is lying, who above, that sees all things, that tests all hearts, permitted the situation where a man is lying and another man is being lied to? It was God. He allowed it, if it is not him actively making it happen. He leads counselors away stripped, and judges he makes fools. It's not like you can... Talk back to God with your great wisdom or claim that there is some legal claim against him. Even judges, he can make fools out of them. He looses the bonds of kings. Where's your authority? And binds a waistcloth on their hips. He leads priests away stripped. You're not holier than God. And he overthrows the mighty. It doesn't matter if you're Samson himself. You're not stronger than God. He deprives of speech those who are trusted. If you have a friend that can give you advice to get away and worm your way out of God's judgment, it's not going to work. God can strike him mute. Takes away the discernment of the elders so nobody understands what's going on. He pours contempt on princes and loosens the belt of the strong. He uncovers the deeps out of darkness and brings deep darkness to light. This is the God that made everything. Before we address that, I want to point us to something. Our Lord keeps asking Job questions that the 12th chapter reveals he knows the answer to. Oh, he knows it already. In Job chapter 38, our Lord chides him and says, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Oh, you don't know what you're talking about. Verse 8, Who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out from the womb, when I made clouds like its garment, and thick darkness its swaddling bend, and prescribed limits for it, and set bars and doors, and said, Thus far shall you come, and no farther, and here shall your proud waves be stayed. Have you commanded the morning since your days began? God asks Job questions. That chapter 12 shows us he knows the answer to them. God is almighty. He's the one that raises people up and casts them down. God is the one who kills and makes alive. God is the one who can take the waters and flood everything if he should so choose. He makes nations great and he destroys them. He enlarges nations and leads them away. He takes away understanding from the chiefs of the people of the earth. God is in control. When our Lord informs Job of this fact... It is not as though Job is ignorant. It is that Job has not experienced God's presence with that power. But regarding that sovereignty, we must remember what St. James says. The purpose of Job's experience is to teach us that our Lord is merciful and compassionate. Job's mistake here Later on, God will say, Who is this that darkens counsel with words without knowledge? Job, in chapter 12 and elsewhere, is saying either God doesn't care, or he hates me. He must hate me. Something must be going on that I get squished. I don't know if there was a mistake in the courts of heaven or something, but God has declared himself my enemy. He is the one, after all, that has all authority over these things. And it's not necessarily a nod to Calvinism or hard determinism. Uh, Job may not have the language for such debates. But he does know that God is all-powerful, which means either he makes things happen or he permits things to happen. And when he decides that he is going to interfere into the affairs of men, there is no resisting him. If he decides to permit somebody to do something bad, there is no saying, hey, God, you made a mistake. So what is this, to Job's mind, what is this other than hostility? This is God doing this or permitting this. What else can we say? But Job's mistake, with all the implications here, that maybe God just likes the wicked. I don't know. He's letting all these thieves and rapists and murderers get away with everything, and he's in control. So what gives? His mistake is that he is not relying on God's mercy and his compassion. His specific love for Job and his general love for all of humanity is something that Job and his friends are missing. Now, God does say in chapter 42 that Job is not wrong in what he speaks about God. Job is right. God is sovereign. Job is right. God could have prevented what happened to him. God could have said no. And whether or not God forced the devil's hand, as many in the hyper-Calvinist camp would attempt to say, whether God forced this to happen, or whether it was a result of the free actions of evil actors and God permitting it to happen, he is missing the fact that God still loves him. And we need to be steadfast like Job. We do. We do need to hold on. Next week, we will be discussing how Job continues to trust in God in spite of these uh, nearly blasphemous thoughts and questions that he's having. But for our learning, we can say that I'm going to remain steadfast. I'm going to ask God these questions, but I am going to trust that he is permitting all of this He is allowing all of this or making these things happen in my life because he is all-powerful, but he is doing it because of his compassion and mercy. And we will see how Job figures out trusting in God because every time he speaks, he does get a little bit closer in sanctification. But we'll continue that next week. Until then, our Lord bless you and keep you. Amen and amen.